Friends, when I was uh, ordained over seven years ago now at the ordination reception, I wrote a song uh, for my parents that I played for them uh, at that reception. And I was trying to pay tribute to the fact that they had taught me first how to love and that that laid the foundation that got me to that special day. And so here's the chorus um, of that song that I wrote. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just not in the mood. You know, I don't know why, but uh, here's the words. I first learned love before I was old enough, before I even knew God's name. Before I knew He shed His blood, I was raised in the school of love. And that's how I knew for love He came. And it was, again, my way of saying to my parents, hey, before I ever heard the word God, before I ever heard the word Jesus, when I was a little infant and toddler, and I'll tell you, I was a cute infant and toddler, you know? (laughs) Before I ever knew anything about religion, I experienced the unconditional selfless love of my parents. And that laid the foundation, the incredible foundation of love that they loved me no matter what, gave me this incredible sense of security in who I was. I didn't have to impress my parents. They loved me with no conditions. I just could be myself and comfortable in my own skin with my parents. And that feeling of that sense of security and who I was enabled me then as I grew up to be able to give myself more freely to others because I had first learned how to love from them. And it laid the foundations for ultimately trusting and giving myself to God who is the very source of all love and the one who puts all other loves in their proper ordering and in their proper context, but it all came back to that foundation that was laid. I was thinking about that in light of our Gospel today in which Jesus lays out the foundational commandments, taking all the 616 commandments present in the Jewish law and condensing them down into the two most important which all of the others are summed up in. And there's clearly a hierarchy of importance. There's clearly a priority. And I think from the the Gospel today, it's love of God is first. Love of God with everything we have above all things, above all idols, above all other alternatives that we could put in place of the highest good and the highest love. Love of God has to be the highest. And then it's love of neighbor. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, we could say love of self is third. Because the whole trajectory of maturity in the Christian life is starting to lose ourself. Right? St. Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That the fully mature Christian starts to forget about themselves. Not, not that their self doesn't matter, but forget about themselves and get lost in service of others, and in union with God. And so, in terms of importance, it's love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self. 
But what I want to reflect with you today on is that in terms of how we come to experience that, how we come to accept that, the order is usually the exact opposite. That we can't really love others sufficiently unless we feel a healthy sense of self-love. And unless we have a healthy sense of self-love and are able to give ourselves in love of neighbor, it's very difficult for us to desire union with God. That love of self is actually at the foundation of how we can come to fully experience love of neighbor and love of God. And listen, when I say a healthy self-love, I don't mean selfishness. I don't mean self-absorption. I don't mean insisting we're at the center of the universe. I mean the sense that we get that we're totally comfortable in our own skin. That we are who we are. And we can be ourselves before another. That we're aware of our weaknesses and our strengths. We don't have an inflated view of ourselves. We just are who we are. And here's the tricky part about self-love. We really can't give it to ourselves. It's given as a gift from others who make us feel that way. Like, I don't know if you've ever taken an area where you think you're particularly weak or strong, but you're kind of insecure about it, and you tell yourselves a million times, you're good, you're good at it, you're good at it, you're good at it. We generally don't believe that. We generally don't believe it. So I think positive thinking and sort of positive psychology only can go so far in making us feel worthy. It has to be given as a gift by another. Another person has to make us feel so comfortable in their presence. So like I can be who I am in front of you and I don't have to put on any airs. I don't have to, there's no conditions here. I don't have to impress you. I just am who I am. And it's that kind of security in ourselves that frees us to say, you know what, I feel good about myself. You know what, I'm going to forget about myself and give myself totally to another. And I'm going to get lost in union with God who is the source of love. But unless we have an authentic, healthy self-love, it hurts how we love others. We project onto our love of neighbor the ways that other people have wounded us in terms of loving us. Jesus kind of implies that, right, in the second commandment. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Or we could say it even more clearly, love your neighbor as you love yourself, which sort of presumes that if you don't love yourself, you're going to find it rather difficult to love your neighbor. That if you don't love yourself, you're going to find it rather difficult to love your neighbor. And as I said before, you can't really give yourself self-love. Similarly, if we don't love ourselves and we've been wounded and no one's given us the sense that you're, you're okay where you are, you're unconditionally loved, no conditions, it's hard to appreciate God's love. I remember the first time as a priest, someone came to me in my first assignment and they said, and they wouldn't call me father, which was a, a strange thing at that assignment. And I remember they sat down and they said, Jeremy, I just want to share something with you. I feel comfortable. I really struggle to pray the Our Father because my dad abused me. And the only image of fatherhood I know 
is one that abused me. How am I supposed to pray to God as father of a father I don't see when the only father I have seen misused that relationship? And I remember at the time, I was a young priest, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and I was, I was tempted to say, like, I didn't say this, but I was tempted to say, well, well, you know, it is what it is. Jesus gave us this prayer, we should pray it. You know, something mean like that. Um, I'm not sure what, exactly what I said, but I think now, reflecting a lot more on how human relationships and the way in which we've been loved by other human beings shape the way in which we're able to feel loved ourselves, to love our neighbor, and to feel loved by God. Now when people say that to me, I usually say, you know, let's find, let's bracket that for a little while. And let's pray with the other images of God. Because that's the amazing thing about the biblical text, is that God represents his relationship with humanity in every possible, every conceivable human relationship. Right? He's called like a father, like a mother. Okay, Jesus calls us friends. There's a lot of spousal language in terms of God's love for us. There's all sorts, like every possible way we can have human relationships, God has referred to his relationship with us. And so it's kind of like, okay, let's bracket that. If your parent, maybe seeing God as a parent is really difficult for you because your parents wounded that relationship. Let's bracket that for a little bit. I hope it's restored in your lifetime. Like, I hope you meet somebody that restores the image of fatherhood for you and redeems it so that you can someday pray that prayer. But for now, let's pray with the images that haven't been substantially wounded. See, I have no problem praying the Our Father or praying to Mary as mother because my mother, my earthly mother and father are nothing but an incredible representation of God. I say that hesitantly because they're probably watching. It's going to give them big heads. (laughs) Right? But if God is like my mother or father, but just better, I'm thrilled about that. But that's not true for everybody. That is not true for everybody. And the incredible takeaway from this, I hope, is that it puts a ton of responsibility on how we love. God has taken an incredible risk that the way in which we come to know love of neighbor and love of self and love of God is through other human beings loving us. That's an incredible risk because the God whom we don't see is made manifest in the love of the people that we do see. And that puts an incredible responsibility on how we love because only we can give authentic love of self to another by loving them unconditionally and making them feel that in our presence they can be who they are and they don't have to impress us. They can just be themselves. That doesn't mean there's no room for growth, but before growth, somebody has to know they can be themselves in your presence. That our love of others makes all the difference when it comes to learning how to love our neighbor and accepting and experience experiencing God's unconditional love of us. Friends, that's, I think, the challenge. Yes, in terms of priority and importance, love of God, love of neighbor, love of self, 
in terms of how we often learn those things, it's often love of self, love of neighbor, and love of God. Let's strive to do our part in loving those around us that makes so that it becomes easier for others to learn how to love their neighbor, to learn how to accept how much they are loved themselves, and to be able to appreciate God's love for each one of us. I'm very grateful that my parents laid that foundation for me. Let's lay that foundation for others. Because I first learned love before I was old enough, before I even knew God's name. Before I knew he shed his blood, I was raised in the school of love. And that's how I knew for love he came.